Deuteronomy chapter number 6. I mentioned a few moments ago that Thanksgiving is almost here. That happens to be for my favorite holiday of the year. That might seem strange to some people, but I have my reasons for believing that. Uh, uh, it, uh, it's a time of the year that sure brings back a lot of memories and uh I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about Thanksgiving, but uh, I, maybe you're thinking of football or turkey or whatever, but I, the word that always comes to my mind is family and and uh, just something about Thanksgiving, you can't get family out of your mind. And uh, I can't help but think about my childhood and you know, I look back and I think what a shame it was that uh, as much as Dad and I put on Mom because, you know, we usually went hunting and got back from hunting in time to eat and uh, after after it was all over, you know, all of the work that is. And, uh, and then after we ate, well, I, um, we didn't really participate in cleaning up and I... It's really a shame the way that all of that fell on Mom uh, to do. Uh, thankfully, she didn't. Don't remember ever complaining about it. But my greatest memories doesn't have to do with my with my childhood. My best memories of Thanksgiving has to do uh, with Bev and uh, the eight children that we've raised. Looking back on uh, on our life together as as a family. And I, I mention all of that this morning for a reason, and that is because I realize that while it gives me great pleasure to think about all of these years as a family together, uh, it brings great pain to a lot of people. You know, it's one thing to talk about what a wonderful wonderful father you had or a wonderful mother you had or a wonderful family that you came from. And sometimes we just need to stop and uh, be mindful of the fact that not everybody had a daddy like that. Not everybody had a mother like that. Not everybody came from a family like that. There are people right here this morning without a doubt that have very uh, sad memories of their childhood growing up. And uh, when we think about the condition of our nation and how confused we are about things, especially related to the family. And, you know, we could get off into a lot of areas related to that that I won't even mention but whenever you think about the family, there's never been so much confusion. I believe there's a reason for that. I believe Satan has specifically set out to do everything in his power to destroy the institution of the family. That's his goal. Believe me, listen to me. There are a lot of folks that in the beginning they want to impress upon you the idea is that we don't believe what you do and we want you to accept the way that we are. Let me tell you right now, that's not what they really want. They want to change you. If they'd be honest about it, they don't want just 
tolerance. They don't just want acceptance. They want everybody else to become what they are. They are on a mission. And I want to speak to you this morning about the family's formula for a firm foundation. The family's formula for a firm foundation. It's not not some formula that I came up with, but it goes all the way back here to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter number 6, and we're going to read beginning in verse number 9. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son all of the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do that it may be well with thee and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thine heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou riseth up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates. The foundation of society is the family. The sad part is today a lot of folks don't take it as serious as they should. I love what the former elderly President Bush said. Somebody was asking him what his greatest accomplishment was. And you stop and think about it, you know, he could have gone back and he could have said, well, it was being a Navy pilot in World War II. I mean, look, that's something to be proud of. I mean, to think about the fact that you served your country and and uh, that, you know, you went through all of the preparation and training for that. Or he could have said the eight years that I served as vice president under Reagan. What an, wow, what an honor that was. It's, a lot of people believe Reagan was the greatest president ever. And he could have said, hey, eight years, I was his vice president. Or... He could have said, you know, it was being the head of the CIA or the UN, U.S. ambassador to China or, or no doubt a number of other things. He could have said being the president of the United States. His answer was, however, the greatest accomplishment is that my children still come to see me. Wow, that's, yeah, that's, that's saying something. And um, there's a lot to be said for that. Of course, some would say they never left me. And they, you know, that's your fault. You, at some point in time, you got to put them out of the nest and they got to have wings and fly on their own. But the fact of the matter is just knowing 
that your kids still want to have contact with you is a great blessing. We need to give serious responsibility, uh, serious attention to our responsibility when Paul said to bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalms 127? You know, he tells us there that without a firm foundation, they that labor to build the house labor in vain. There has to be a foundation. And he goes right on speaking about the fact that children are heritage. That is, they are a gift from God. I, I, I don't mind telling you, I get kind of angry whenever I hear people talking about children as though they were some kind of a curse upon their happiness. The Bible says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Amen. Have all you can while you can. That's the way I look at it. So, yeah, but these times that we live in, well, look, let me, let me tell you, they're not going to get any better. I realize there's a lot of grief when it comes to raising children, but I'm going to tell you the joy far outweighs whatever grief and suffering that you have to go through. Don't you dare let the devil rob you of a blessing because you are so selfish that you don't want any kids getting in your way of pursuing your happiness. Amen? But let me tell you, as happy as those kids can make you, this can be the toughest job of your life because none of us come prepared for that. I don't care if you took classes trying to teach you how to be a good parent. That'd be a good thing to do. Not a thing in the world wrong with that. But I'll tell you, when you get right down to it and you're in the trenches of trying to raise kids and you have to go through the experience of everything yourself, it's a whole new ball game then. None of us get it right the first time. And they won't let us get it right when we try to raise our grandkids. They could say we're butting in, you know, but uh, yeah, that's right. Here a few weeks ago, I mentioned these verses of Scripture and talked about it just a little bit. And verses 4 through 9 is called the Shema. That based on, that's the Hebrew word for the word here, the first word of this. This was the first word of the daily confession of the Jewish people. All of the Jews were required to repeat this at least two times every day because it is a reminder of the first and the second commandments. You remember Matthew chapter 22 where the Lord answers that question about the first and the great commandments that we love the Lord our God and the second's like unto the first that we love our neighbor as ourselves, you see. So this is a reminder of our two main obligations in life. And these children were to be taught that from the very beginning. Many have called this the most important prayer in all of Judaism. It is also said by many of the scholars that it is the single most indispensable verse in the Bible. Now, now think about that for a little while. The single most indispensable verse in all of the Bible is right here in verse 4. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now we read that and it's, you know, it kind of sounds like old hat to us. It doesn't tell us anything new. 
What we don't realize is that that, that set them in, in conflict and in a contrast with every other nation on the face of the earth. The Lord our God, He is one. You see, every other nation believed in, in, in a plurality of gods. There are many gods. And the Jews come along with the proper teaching that Jehovah, the great I am, He is the only one. Professor Hyde Hendricks, who was a professor for many years at Dallas Theological Seminary, made a statement, and it was so profound to me that I jotted it down, and I want to read that to you this morning. And please listen to what he says. Here's a man that all of these radio preachers like Chuck Swindoll and all of them that you admire so much, this is the guy that basically they all admire more than anybody else that was their professor in college. And uh, a lot's to be said about the man's wisdom. He probably wrote the best book for Sunday school teachers that's ever been written. And if you never read it, you need to get a copy and read it. But he said, if I had just one sentence of advice to offer parents, I'd encourage them to drench their minds with Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. I really think that's the essence of what family life is all about. First, the principle of instruction. You talk about it. You teach it. And finally, the principle of involvement. You encourage children to apply it in their thinking and behavior. You might remember that a few weeks ago, whenever I talked about that word Shema and the, the word here, that it means more than for us to hear something with our ear, it means more than to just listen to what is said, but it means that we act upon it. In other words, we're not really hearing the message, we're not really getting the message, even though we might be able to quote it. We're not really getting the message until we apply it to our heart, till we act upon it. That is the point. And notice in verse number 5 here, and, 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 and where he's talking about our responsibility. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thine heart and with all of thy soul and with all of thy might. So, I mean, this is all centered, focused on our number one primary responsibility. And until we do that, we can't do anything else by way of pleasing the Lord. So, that word shema or here means to receive and it means to respond. James said, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Now, if Hired Hendricks was right, and I have no reason to doubt what he said about this here being the most important advice that we could give to parents, then surely... Considering the importance of the family, when we look in these verses, that we can see what is necessary for us to be successful as parents. And that's why I call this here the, the factors that, that are involved in us building a firm foundation for our family. And there's at least four things that I want you to notice. In the first two verses, the most obvious thing 
is that it requires righteous living. Notice he said these are the commandments. Notice the different words that he uses. Commandments and the statutes, that would speak about ordinances and things of that nature, and the judgments, the determinations of the Lord. And so by doing that, he is just covering everything that God says. He he says, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might, notice, do them. Not that you just might remember them, that you might be able to quote them, but it's as though he is saying that that this is this is the primary goal in us going into the land. Remember, they're on a mission. They're going into a land, he says, it's flowing with milk and honey. They're going there to be a light to the Gentiles, and for them to do that, righteous living was an absolute necessity. If they go into that land and they live like all of the other nations, they bear no testimony for Christ at all, right? I mean, they're just like everybody else. The same thing's true of us. If we as Christians are going to be witnesses for Christ, our listen, our difference from this world is our testimony to this world. And whenever we come down to this matter of raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and building our family on a firm foundation, that requires righteous living. We can't go the way of the world and do what we choose to do. There's so many times we think, you know, all that's involved in, you know, being a father or being a mother is just bringing kids into this world. But there's more to it than that. We incur a responsibility to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It doesn't say just let them come up into the world. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. If you don't train him up in the way he should go, you better believe me, he'll go in the other direction. He'll go in the way that he wants to go. The prodigal son is the perfect picture of that. That is a picture of lost humanity turning their back on the living God and going into the world in search of something that would satisfy their old sinful nature. That's what that parable is all about. And the parable son goes into the world and loses everything he has. And finally, out of desperation, comes back home and the father receives him. He doesn't just receive him, but he restored him. Amen. Put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and food on the table and provided for him that which he needed. Now, when he comes back, he says, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son He said, just take me back like a hired servant. I'll sleep in the bunkhouse with the guys, you know. I'll I'll get up whatever time you tell me to get up. I'll go to work when you want me to go to work. I'll do whatever you want me to do. You see, there's been a transformation of his character. And that's what's required of every parent. And the goal of every parent is to raise their children in such a way that it leads to righteous living. You know, sometimes we um, we make it the goal of the parent to get them a college education. Well, you know, that's well and good. I'm all for that. I, that's commendable. Get them a good education. I'm all for that, but there's something better. You say, well, my goal is get them in the major leagues. Man, if I can get, if I can get my boy in the major leagues, hey, I'll be, I'll be happy. Well, there's something a whole lot better than that. 
Our primary concern should be to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that we can see them living righteously. Amen. Amen. And, and every parent here, every Christian parent here this morning would tell you that whenever they see one of their children living out the principles of the Word of God, that, that, that thrills them beyond words. I, I, I can't tell you how I feel whenever I, uh, whenever I hear Tim stand up here and sing or, or Kathy playing that piano or my other kids doing other things to serve the Lord. It just thrills my heart. Because look, if what I've done doesn't lead to righteous living on their part, then I've, I have failed. And, and if my concern is to help them reach a place in their life to where they're living righteously, then I've got to do it first. You want a formula for a firm foundation for your family? It starts with you, Dad and Mom. Not with the kids. You, you have no right to expect something out of them that they can't see in you. You want them to live righteously, then you better model it for them so they can see what it looks like in shoe leather. Secondly, look in verse number 3. Here's another stone in this foundation. It requires responsive listening. Notice what he says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do. Now we've already covered this basically, but it's important that we, that we consider it. It bears repeating again. Notice he's using that word here. And the point is that it requires us to respond to what we've been hearing. Your job as a parent doesn't end with instruction. How many times have I told you? Probably every parent has said that maybe hundreds of times. Your kid will do something wrong and you'll set them down and you'll give them a lecture. I taught you better than that. Well, maybe you did. But did you model anything better than that? That's the point. And, and, and it requires on their part responsive listening to where they don't just hear what you said or memorize what you said, but they put it into practice. Brother Barry's been our Awana commander for many years now. I've lost track, 18, 19, 20, or how many? 24. I told you I lost track. <laughs> and uh, he can tell you one of the greatest joys of being involved in a ministry like that is seeing some of those now that are Awana directors and what have you they're, they are adults and teaching children, and he's watched them come up through the ranks of the Awana ministry. Amen. Now, it would have been great. All of those kids, you know, they, they memorized their sections. It'll amaze you how many sections of Scripture some of those kids can say and put us adults to shame. They can just stand there and quote one after another, after another, after another. But if look, if they don't respond to what they're hearing in such a way that it changes their life, it's all for naught. And so many times we break our arm patting ourselves on the back like we've done a great job because, boy, we've raised a bunch of Bible scholars. We don't need Bible scholars. We need some people that love Jesus enough to get out here and do something for Him. Amen. That's what we really need. That requires a responsive 
listening. And it's our job to model that. Then notice verse 4 and 5. It demands robust loving. And I'm using that word robust for a reason. It's more than just a, a means of alliteration. But notice he says, Hear, O Israel, of the Lord thy God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thine heart, with all of thy soul, and with all of thy might. Now, regardless of what else we do, if we fail here, we have failed altogether. If we don't love God supremely, then we have failed miserably. And I want you to notice here, as he tells us not only to love God, but he tells us to what extent that we are to love God. He says we're to love God passionately. Notice he says, with all of thine heart. We're to love God personally with all of thy soul. We're to love God practically, that is, with all of thy might or with all of thy strength. And and, and you can put all, all of these words sort of intertwine one with another. They all relate to each other. And it's just another way of saying that we are to love the Lord our God with everything that is within us, our intellect our affections, our energy, everything about us is to be dedicated to a robust lifestyle of loving God. It's one thing for us to be able to stand up and to say, uh, I, I love the Lord with all of my heart. It's another thing for others to be able to see that kind of lifestyle, living it out. A robust loving of God. And, and if I, look, if our kids don't see that, then, then we're never going to be able to reach them. I, I've often said, in fact, I just posted it on, in response to something that was on Facebook and I commented, my comment was that I always, you know, for 50 years been teaching my kids that I love them more than anything except their mother. They're second. The kids come second. Mother comes first. And mother realizes that the only thing I love more than her is God. And I want to tell you the best thing in the world. Somebody said the best, the best thing you can do for your kids is to love their mother. No, not really. The best thing that you can do for your kids is to prove to them through your lifestyle that you love God. That'll make a difference in their life when they know that you love God above everything else. And all of this requires regular learning. In other words, it doesn't end with just, you know, getting them started down the right road. And beginning in verse 6 on down through verse number 9, he tells us what the curriculum is. Well, it's the Word of God. Notice what he says in verse number 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So the curriculum, the Word of God, is stored in the heart. And then verse 7, 8, and 9, he tells us not only to store it in our heart, but to share it with our children. And, and you know, I don't know, it's almost a bit of humor when I look at this where he's talking about they, they bind the commandments for a sign upon their hand. Remember the... The Jews, you've seen those pictures, the little leather box they made with bits of Scripture, and they'd have it like, you know, bound to their hand, and then uh, on a little leather box between their eyes that contained the script. This was a reminder to them that their responsibility 
was to hear and to obey the Lord their God. But where he says put it on the doorpost, I mean on the fence post outside, you know, or, or wherever, it's kind of like us telling our kids today to put it on the refrigerator, you know, your memory verse there. The whole point of this is that as parents, we've got to take the initiative to do what we can to encourage our kids to store up the Word of God in their heart. Because I'm telling you, the message of this blessed old book I hold in my hand is the only message that will transform their life, the only message that will keep them safe, the only message that will keep them going when they want to quit. I mean, it's right here. They have everything they need in order to live a life of success. And so here he is encouraging them to transmit these truths on to his children. And you do that by regular, regular teaching of the Word of God where they see it every day. It's right there on the post. You can't miss it. And we need to make it just that obvious to our kids. Now, I wish I could comment on every verse here, and I, I need to wrap it up. And I, I want to do so by looking at the last verse in this chapter. Because this last verse actually sums up everything that he's been talking about and I've been talking about. Verse 25, And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all of these commandments before the Lord our God as He hath commanded us. Whenever I looked at that and was thinking about it this week, I just thought, you know, I think I'll call that the precept of performance. The precept of performance. And it goes right back to what we've been talking about, that the Lord says, all right, here is the message. I want you to hear it. I want you to understand it, but I want you to apply it. I want you to Put it in shoe leather and live it out. Did you notice how many times he said observe to do? Observe to do. So we hear and then we apply it to our lifestyle. And notice he says in doing this that this is our righteousness. Regardless of what else we do, if we don't live right, Things are going to go wrong. Does that make sense? Amen. You can't do wrong and expect it to be right. And God has promised to bless them according to their willingness to do what was right. Isn't that what he said? You do all of these things when you go into the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to bless you. And he even said, I'll make you to prosper. That's something worth striving for, you would think. But there's a problem with all of this. And the problem is that none of us on our own are able to live up to God's standard of righteousness. None of us. The Jews weren't able to do that, and we're not able to do that. To make matters worse, some of the Jews believe that if they just gave it their best shot, that that would be good enough. 
Now, you need to understand that when you look at the Old Testament, you're looking at a picture book, if you will. You're looking at an incomplete story. This is just God's means of introducing His Son to the world. So when God gives us the law, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, He's not saying, now you do this and you'll have eternal life. Well, if you could do that, you'd have eternal life. You'd be perfect, right? And none of us can live up to that standard. So what use is it? What good is it? Because none of us, regardless of how hard we try, can ever do our best. It's never good enough. God's standards, you know, way up here. We can't reach that far. The Pharisees came along and they believed that everything depended upon their righteousness. When you go home, you need to study the first ten verses of Romans chapter number 10 because there we find the New Testament application of this Old Testament truth that's being taught here in what the Jews call the Shema, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might, with everything you've got. And the Pharisees came along many years later and... uh, They claimed that on the basis of their righteousness, their good works, that they would be accepted by God. And it was like a slap in the face to them when Paul made this statement, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Have you got any idea how offensive that was to those self-righteous people? Because they're the same people that told Jesus, said what, he, whenever he said he come to set them free, he said, we've never been bonds to any man. There's nothing wrong with us. You're wasting your time. Go help somebody that needs it. We don't need you. That's exactly what they were saying. And here Paul comes along and he says, My heart's desire, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Well, what's the problem? Let's let's assume that they are doing their very best. Let's assume that they are excelling in religion. Give them an A+. Now, if you read the story, you'll see they don't really deserve an A+, but we'll give it to them, all right? They have excelled in religion. And he says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. Man, they're, they're religious. I mean, you look, they do stuff that the ordinary person wouldn't think about doing. They have a zeal for God, but notice, but not according to knowledge. You say, well, preacher, I, you know, I, do, I just don't quite believe like you Baptists do. Okay, what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? You say, well, I just can't believe that there is a real, literal place called hell. I, I, I just can't believe that's, that God would really, you know, make a place like that. Well, what if you're wrong? These people have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. They don't know what they're doing. Now notice, it goes on. Now I want you to get this. He says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, 
have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Is, are you staying with me? Or is, is this making sense to you? We go all the way back to where we started a while ago there in verse 25 and where he says, and this is your righteousness. In other words, this, if you're able to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind, I'm telling you right now, you can't do that by yourself. You can never love God enough. You can never be good enough. You can never do enough to be accepted by God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Amen. Wow. Do you, do you realize how that flies in the face of what the large percentage of the, of the of so-called Christendom believes today? Everything's based on what? Believing, not baptism. Somebody says, well, I've been baptized. I'm all right. I'll make it to heaven. Not if you're dependent on your baptism or your church membership or your generosity or your morality or anything else. Because you and I, neither one of us can live up to the standard of pure righteousness. We can't do it. And it says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He's letting us know that if we will simply put our trust in the one who was righteous, altogether righteous, and who died for us, that he might impute to us righteousness. In other words, he puts it on our account, as it were, as though we were. That enables God to treat us as though we were perfect. Because there's no blot of sin any longer against us. And there's no way that God could make this more simple. It's all based on the person that believes. And that's why Paul said to the Philippian jailer, you know, he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And the same thing's true of you today. Let me tell you why this is so very important. We've been talking about the family, and now we're making it personal. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, no home is fit for a child to live in that's not Christ-centered. Now, you can like that or lump it or take it or leave it or whatever you want to do it. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not saying that, that you don't do your best. To take care of your children. That's not what I said. If every child needs Christ as their Lord and Savior, then every home ought to make certain that Christ is the center of that home. And that goes right back to mom and dad putting the Lord first in their life and making it evident to their children that I love God more than anything on this earth. And I'm going to serve Him regardless of the consequences. And whenever our kids see us making a commitment like that, it'll encourage them to do exactly the same thing. I'm not saying that this will give you an ironclad guarantee that your kids will all do what's right. They sometimes don't. 
I always think back to Adam and Eve. Remember, they are the creation of God, and they did wrong. Your kids might do wrong, but I'll tell you, your, your very best chance of your kids turning out right is for you to live right each and every day of your life to the best of your ability and for them to see in you not that spirit of the Pharisee that says, I'm good enough, but whenever they see your dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not trusting to your own good works, but you're trusting in Him to save you. Without a foundation, what happens? It all comes falling down. And the foundation for your home, for your family, can't be anything else other than Christ, or it'll fail during the storms of life. Let's all stand. And if you're here this morning, and it might be that... uh, You've just really gone through a rough experience in your life and you've, you could honestly say, you know, preacher, I've really tried to do my best to raise my kids right and I know I've made mistakes. We all do. And, and it might be that you're here and, and you just feel like throwing in the towel. Let me encourage you, don't you dare give up. One of the, one of the best things that you can ever do for your children is to let them see you rise again to succeed after you've failed. The Bible says a just man will fall seven times, but he doesn't stay down. He gets up. The Lord lifts him up. Let God use your life to show your kids what God can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your loving kindness. We thank you, Lord, for not just the instruction that you give us, not just for the promises that you make, but we thank you for the power that you impart in the person of the Holy Spirit to know that he enables us to do what the Word of God commands us to do. Lord, when we think about raising our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, sometimes we just feel like it's a lost cause. Sometimes we feel like it's just beyond anything that we can possibly do. Lord, I just pray you'll encourage some mother or father here today, or it might be some child that's going through a great difficulty in their life. It might be that their parents have failed them miserably. And it might be that the great need in this case is for the child to be a witness to the parents and to show them the difference that Jesus Christ can make in a person's life. But we ask it in His name. Now as we